Well, Good Friday is the day that we give a sec, a particular and special attention to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Good Friday is the day when we as God's people, we take time to dwell upon how over 2,000 years ago, Christ was brought before a battalion of Roman soldiers there in Pilate's headquarters in order to be stripped of his clothes, dressed in a scarlet robe, given a, given a crown of thorns and a staff in his right hand. Why? So that that battalion of Roman soldiers could then kneel before Jesus and mock him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Can you imagine them dressing Jesus, putting the crown of thorns, pressing it upon his head, giving him that rod, having him stand so that they could kneel down to publicly mock him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Today is the day we remember how those same guards then arose from their kneeling position in order to spit on Jesus and then take that very staff to strike him in the head again and again and again. And after they, then after they had once again mocked him, they stripped him of his clothes, the robe, in order to lead him away to crucify him. Where? As, Matthew gospel, as Matthew's gospel records, there at the ninth hour, Jesus yielded up his spirit and died. And friend, what the Bible makes clear is that Christ endured such suffering in order to pay the penalty we owe God for our sin. You see, Good Friday is all about how Jesus died as a substitute in our place to absorb the full wrath of God we deserve for our sins. God provided, as our hymnody declares, God provided full atonement for our sins through the death of his son. And tonight, as we rightly remember the death of Christ, here's the question that I want us to consider this evening, and that is, as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, what relevance does Christ's death have for us today? We're taking time out of our week, out of our Friday evening, to remember and to reflect upon what happened over 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And here's the question I want us to consider. What relevance does Christ have, Christ's death have for you and I today? And you know what the answer is? Lots. <laughs> Tons and tons. And our passage this evening tells us why. This evening, I'd like us as a church just to look at one verse. One verse, and that's Galatians 
2.20, and you can turn there in your copy of God's Word if you like. And what I want to do tonight is just mine this one verse for all its life-giving truth. For I believe it directly answers this question, what does Christ's death over 2,000 years ago have to do with you and me today? In fact, I'm going to throw the verse up there on the screen. And I thought we could read this verse out loud together, okay? So let's, let's say this verse, Galatians 2.20 together. Ready? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Lord, I would ask now that you would help me to serve these people well by clearly and accurately and rightly handling the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that this precious verse would stir in our hearts greater affection and love for the Savior. And not only that, Lord, I pray that we as your people in humility would receive the instruction from this verse so that we might live lives as you have designed and that is to make much of the Savior and to live for him rather than ourselves. So God, help me now, I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Uh, one of my favorite radio programs is a show called Radio Lab. You can actually listen to it on Saturdays at 4 p.m. on WFPL here in Louisville, if you want to know. And they recently did an episode entitled The Black Box. And during that episode, they examined three different kinds of what they would say black boxes, those, those particular spaces where it's clear what's going in and it's clear what comes out. But what happens in between is somewhat of a mystery. Well, one of those black boxes that they examined was a chrysalis. As you probably know, at a certain point in a caterpillar's life, it starts growing a little shell called a chrysalis. And once inside that chrysalis, a caterpillar transforms into a what? A butterfly, right? Now, here's the thing. No one really knows how this happens. For the longest time, people thought that the caterpillar simply grew wings while in the chrysalis. But that's not the case. No, scientists have discovered that inside the chrysalis, the caterpillar actually dissolves into a semi-clear goo. Everything dissolves. The head, the legs, the antenna. It all dissolves into this goo. And then somehow... In some way, that goo gets rebuilt into a completely different shape, a butterfly. What comes out of the chrysalis, please hear me, is not a better version of the caterpillar. No, what comes out is something radically different and new. 
And faith, so it goes for every person who puts his or her trust in Jesus Christ. Please hear me. They do not become a better version of themselves. No, they become something completely new. And that's Paul's point. That, I believe, is the point Paul is driving home here in Galatians 2.20. Here in the middle of this glorious chapter, Galatians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul is laying out an incredible argument that we are justified before God by faith alone and Christ alone. Here in the middle of this awesome argument, Paul helps us see what the crucifixion of Jesus has to do with you and me today. And very simply, Paul's point is this concerning the crucifixion, and that is Christ died to remake you, not improve you. This, I want to argue, is Paul's main point from this one verse. Friend, please hear me. Faith, the gospel that we cherish and proclaim and sing about in love, it is not a self-help resource that can make you an improved version of yourself. No, if we believe what the Bible actually says, we'll come to see that when a person places their faith in Jesus, a radical transformation takes place, one very similar to that of a caterpillar. Christian, in Christ, by the Spirit's power, you are remade. And please hear me, there is now a new reality for you to live by. And this new reality has significant implications for your life. C.S. Lewis captured this thought well. In his book, Mere Christianity, he wrote this. He said, God became man to turn creatures into sons. Not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. And what I want you to see this evening is how Paul makes this point abundantly clear in just one verse. In this text, he gives four reasons, Christian, why you are new rather than just improved. And the first is this. The reason why you are a new creation and that's simply a better version of you is because in Christ, you now have a new existence. Look at the first phrase of this verse again where Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. And this is true not only of Paul, but of all Christians. During my junior and senior year at the Moody Bible Institute, my brother Dave and I worked for conference ministries there at Moody. And we were responsible for picking up the speakers at the airport, bringing them downtown, making sure all their needs were met, and then bringing them to the hotel that they were going to stay at. Well, one year, one of the speakers at the conference was Elizabeth Elliot. Those of you who know, she's a well-known Christian author and speaker who was married to Jim Elliot, the very famous missionary who was killed on the mission field by the very people he was trying to reach with the gospel. Well, well after Jim Elliot died, 
Elizabeth married a man named Lars Gren. And my brother Dave was responsible for picking them both up from the airport and bringing them downtown into the hotel and seeing if any needs were met. And, and my brother Dave, you can talk to him, he says he will never forget the first time that he met Elizabeth Elliot and her husband Lars Gren. You see, when Dave picked them up from the airport, her husband Lars didn't say a word to Dave. He wasn't mean or anything. He was just very quiet into himself. Well, trying to be polite and respectful, Dave always referred to Elizabeth as Mrs. Elliot. He asked her, how was your flight, Mrs. Elliot? Can I get you anything, Mrs. Elliot? Is there any place you'd like to go before I take you to the hotel, Mrs. Elliot? Well, during the entire ride from O'Hare to downtown to the hotel, Dave could see and sense that Lars was getting visibly upset and irritated. Finally, after Dave asked, is the, war, is, the, is the car warm enough for you, Mrs. Elliot? Lars turned to Dave, and with a stern voice, he looked my brother in the eyes and says, Elliot's dead! True story. His point was that Elizabeth now has a new identity. She is not Elizabeth Elliot anymore. No, she's Elizabeth Gren. The man she used to be married to is dead. Well, Christian, the Apostle Paul is saying something very similar to you and me this evening. This verse teaches that the person you were before you came to Christ is dead. They were crucified with Christ. This is what Paul means when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And again, Paul is using himself as an example for all Christians. The idea being, Christian, that the person you once were outside of Christ Someone who was a slave to sin, an enemy of God, ruled by the passions and lusts of your heart. That person, the Bible teaches, died with Jesus on the cross. Through your union with Christ by faith, that person is dead, and you are now married to a new husband, Christ. You have a new existence. Paul elaborates on this point in Romans 6, does he not? Listen to what Paul writes there. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Paul is saying, Elliot's dead. The old you is dead. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we are no longer enslaved to sin. Amen. Paul could not use stronger language to communicate to the fact that you've been remade, not simply improved upon. Praise the Lord. Jesus doesn't make you better. No, he kills. He crucifies your former sinful self and he gives you a new existence in him. And man, this is so important for us to understand and believe. 
And I just want to drill down here and give some, some practical application. Christian, this means in Christ, you can say no to sin. The person you once were outside of Christ in bondage to sin, enslaved, that person has died. You are free. John Gregory Mantle once wrote, and this is very insightful and helpful, and what we're actually getting at here this evening through Galatians in, in our Good Friday service, he wrote this. He said, there is a great difference between realizing on that cross he was crucified for me and on that cross I am crucified with him. The one aspect brings us deliverance from sin's condemnation, the other from sin's power. And faith, here's the surefire way you know you're living in light of this glorious gospel truth. And this is what I've been thinking upon this week, stated negatively. You know you failed to embrace this truth when you start saying to yourself or out loud things like, I can't help but worry or get angry. Or every time she does that, or every time he does that, I just can't help but blow up in anger. Or, or every time he hurts me, I can't help but give way to bitterness. Or every time that pretty girl walks by, I can't help but give way to lust. Christian, yes, you can. You can say no to sin. You know why? Because you have been crucified with Christ. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You are free. And I want to encourage us as a church to lean into this truth. This new reality we have in Christ. And this new reality is true, Christian, whether you feel like it's true or not. And all what good it would do is to remind us of this daily. So when your child disobeys you for the millionth time and you feel like the only response is to blow up in anger, you can remind yourself, no. I have been crucified with Christ. I can say no to this. And by the Spirit's power, I can display the fruit of the Spirit in this circumstance rather than the desires of the flesh. Something far greater than Elliot is dead, and that's your old sinful life. Well, then second, this text shows us that we've been remade because we also have now a new master. Look at that next phrase where he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. A young man once approached an older Christian and asked this question. He says, what does it mean as far as this life is concerned to be crucified with Christ? And the older, wiser believer replied and said this, he says it means three things. Number one, a man on a cross is facing in only one direction. Number two, he's not going back. And number three, he has no further plans of his own. And this is what Paul's getting at when he says, 
it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The idea being, Paul no longer has any further plans of his own. No longer do Paul's own interests, goals, and desires direct the course of his life. No, in Jesus, Paul now has a new master and Lord, and that's Christ. And Christian, the same goes for, with you. The old sinful you has been crucified with Christ, but it hasn't been replaced with a better version of you. Praise God. <laughs> no, your replacement is Christ. What an exchange. Now, I know I'm probably going to get a lot of slack for this next illustration. Spare me the email and the texts, okay? But this reminds me of the time I bought my first Apple computer, okay? I had a PC that was always crashing, always getting viruses. Can anyone else relate? Yes? Want to admit? Yes, thank you. Okay? And I can remember the guy at the computer store, he kept wanting me to buy another PC. He wanted me to buy an upgraded version of my current PC, even though the new one would still have these problems. And I told him, why would I want a newer version of the same problems? Now, I am not saying an Apple computer is like Jesus, okay? Please hear me. It's not what I'm saying. Maybe, no. <laughs> but what I am saying is then in exchange for your old self being crucified, you get Christ living within you. And that's a killer deal. And as the rest of the scripture teaches, Christ lives in us by his spirit. And here's the question, friend. Will you submit to your new master? Because the real issue here is focus. You know, especially in light of, of what we're celebrating today, Good Friday, and we consider the cost of our salvation, and what Christ endured for you on the cross, are we going to continue to be self-absorbed people? Are we going to continue to be people who are focused on ourselves, our wants, our wishes, our desires? Or will we live like a crucified man who has no further plans of his own, and if I could just be really practical here with you and honest, if you want to be depressed, if you want to live in a prison of frustration, be self-absorbed. Relentlessly focus on yourself. Give your mind over to how I look or how I'm perceived by others or how I'm getting in my way. And focus on yourself. And I promise you, you will be filled with all kinds of doubts, fears, and sorrows, Christian. But if you want to know peace, if you desire joy and freedom, give your attention and your focus to Christ. Submit to him as your master. As we talk about a lot here at Faith, in, in every sphere of your life, instead of asking, what can I get? What do I want? Instead, ask, what does God want of me in this situation? How could I honor him in this situation? How could I honor him in my relationships? Faith, this is what I believe it means to have Christ living in you. You submit to him 
as your master in all situations. Then third, I want to just draw your attention that in Christ, you've been given a new lifestyle. Look at what Paul goes on to say when he says, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So you have a new existence, you have a new master, and now you have a new lifestyle. Okay, I want to I ask you a question, and I really want you to think about it for a moment. You don't, have to, you don't have to say it out loud. In fact, don't, but here's the question. Consider for a moment, who is the most influential person in your life? If someone came up to you and asked you that question, how would you answer? Now, although I don't know every detail of your life, I do know the answer to that question. You know who the most influential person in your life is? You. And you know why? Because no one is talking to you more than yourself. You, you are constantly speaking to yourself, and, and we have to understand this. And the conversations you're having with yourself are deeply theological and paradigmatic. What you're saying to yourself about your circumstances, your life, about God, yourself, it is deeply theological and it's motivational. And here's the question we need to ask ourselves. From four years old to 84 years old, no matter where you are at on this spectrum, the question you ask yourself is, what am I saying to myself? What am I saying to myself about God? What am I saying to myself about me? You know, um, typically, when people come in for counseling, they'll, they'll say something like, you know, I have, I have an emotional problem or I have an issue. Maybe their emotions are consuming them, and that's what's prompting them to seek some kind of counseling. However, at the right time, and hopefully in the right way, the counselor will try to point out, a biblical counselor will point out, their, their emotions are simply performing one of their God-given purposes, namely to indicate habits of thinking, desire, and worship. Friend, please hear me. The emotions aren't the problem. They're simply the fruit of what the person's been telling themselves about God, themselves, and their circumstances. Notice, Paul says that the life he lives in the flesh, meaning this earthly body, the life he lives in the flesh, he lives by faith in the Son of God. This is a new way of living. Instead of basing my life off my own perceptions and emotions, I instead base my life off the truth of God's Word. This means I believe the promises of God trusting they are true, even if the moment, it doesn't feel like they're true. And, I, and I'll confess here, oh, the mess, and I'm part of this, we get ourselves into, because instead of speaking the truth of God's word to ourselves, about ourselves and God, man, we allow 
ourselves to speak lies. Lies like, God's not good. I'm not loved. There's no way God could forgive me after I've sinned like that. Friend, live not by lies. To live by faith in the Son of God is to believe his words are true more than my feelings and emotions. So again, as we're trying to, you know, honor, think about, celebrate, ponder the significance of Christ being crucified over 2,000 years ago and what that has to do with us today. As Paul is directing us here in this verse, I think a question we need to ask ourselves is, what is capturing our thoughts? What are we dwelling and thinking upon? Are we dwelling upon the promises of his word? Or are we allowing ourselves to speak lies? Then finally, the last thing I want to draw your attention to is that in Christ you have a new status. And I'm just going to read the verse in its entirety once more. And Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Speaking of of college, um, one time I heard while I was in college a, a woman named Dana Gresh. And Dana Gresh shared her story about how she fell in love and eventually married her husband named Bob. And when she met Bob, oh man, head over heels for this guy. He was such a great guy, good Christian guy. They, things quickly progressed. They got engaged and then they eventually married. However, during the entire time of their engagement, even after the wedding, Dana kept a secret from her husband, Bob. She had done some very shameful things in her past. So out of a fear that Bob wouldn't love her, if he found out, she kept them from him. She believed that if she was fully known, he would not love her. And I remember when she was sharing this, every student was on the edge of their seats, carefully listening to what she had to say. You know why? Because every person in that room could identify with the feeling of not wanting to be fully known out of the fear of being rejected. And truthfully, all of us are in this category. All of us. We have things that we have thought or done that we would be terrified if others found out. There are things in our lives we want to keep hidden because we are fearful that others would reject us if they found out about them, just like Dana Gresh. Yet, the Bible clearly teaches that God knows all things about all people. Nothing is hidden from Jesus. John 2.25 testifies the reality. Think about this, Christian. Jesus knows everything about you. 
all your flaws, all your sins, all your insecurities, all the shameful things about you. Jesus knows everything about you, Christian. Now get a load of this, and he still loves you. Notice what does Paul say? He says, Jesus loved me. Jesus loves sinful, fallen people. Amen? People who have done terrible things, people who have done shameful things, people who have thought shameful things. You know what he's saying? People like you and me. What an amazing love. So you know what he did? God did what all people do in love. You know what that is? He gave. As Paul says, notice, Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. Think about it. People in love give things. Indeed, they give costly things, don't they? Things that are very valuable to them. They give of their time, their gifts, acts of service, affection. People in love give costly things. And in this verse, we learn that Jesus gave the most valuable thing in the universe, himself. Think about this. Is there anything more valuable than the Lord of the universe? What's the answer? No, yet Jesus willingly gave himself, Christian, for you. And how did he give himself for you? This is what Good Friday is all about, isn't it? By going to the cross to die in your place for your sins, even your secret sins, that you wouldn't want anyone to know about. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that you could be fully forgiven of your sin and made right with God. This is what Good Friday is all about, and this is what makes Good Friday good, amen? I mean, what greater thing could God give, could Christ give? There's nothing. And faith, man, if that won't melt your heart, I don't know what will. But you know what else this should do? As we consider what Christ has given and the cost involved, you know what else it should make us do? It should make us hate sin. When we see the gruesome cost and pain and suffering Christ endured to free us, free us from sin and to forgive us of sin, how even I described a moment ago in Matthew 27, when the Roman guards brought him into Pilate and they dressed him and they beat him and they mocked him and then they stripped him again and they beat him again, they spit on him and they led him to the cross to be killed. When we see what Christ had to endure, the gruesome pain and suffering to forgive us of our sin, it should make us hate our sin all the more that we would turn away from it, not run back to it. Good Friday is to be a repellent for us against sin. I love that third line from the hymn, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. It gets to this very point. I have it here on the screen. And it, it, it corrects my heart every time when, it, when we sing, Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great. That's me many times. My sin's not a big deal. In light of the cross, he says, here may view its nature rightly, 
Here it's guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word of the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. On this Good Friday faith, let's give thanks that Christ gave us the most valuable thing in the universe, and that's himself, so that we could be made new, that we have a new existence, a new master, and a new lifestyle, and a new status, a new status now, we are loved by the king of the universe. Let us live out this truth in our everyday lives. Let's pray.